0: Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. I once stole toilet paper from a church that I worked at. Now, Jake, if you're watching, and Scott, I know you're in the room, it was not from this church, so you have nothing on me. But right after seminary, I was working at the cathedral in downtown Pittsburgh, and I justified this thievery because I was getting paid $23,000 a year, and I essentially lived on church property, so what was the church's was mine. Don't a lot of our self-deceptions sound a little bit like that? Our justifications kind of pile up. Oh, you know, I can take that. I'm not paid enough. It's kind of mine anyway. Now thankfully, I repented. <laughs> I felt bad about it. I have this you know, disproportionate guilt complex, so <laughs> I had to tell people. Uh, but, but thankfully, this happened so that before you know, a small chain of little crimes, you know how they tend to, at least for me, I know you're better than me, but they tend to lead to bigger things, to bigger self-justifications to larger self-deceptions. And I tell this story, not because I wanted to tell you a story about me stealing toilet paper, but because I really believe that it connects pretty well to our collect and our Old Testament reading. Were you listening when we read today's collect? If you can, turn to the page that the collect is on, because it's the same page the Old Testament lesson's on. Today's collect is urgent. It doesn't begin the way the others do. I'm going to have a class on a, a recap of all that I've learned doing a podcast on the colics and all I've learned teaching you about the colics over the past year. But if you know anything about colics, they, they have this similar structure, this similar pattern. They begin with an address, as something as simple as Almighty God or Lord Jesus Christ or something like that. The address then leads to an acknowledgment. So we say Almighty God, and we talk about God's character, whose glory it is always to have mercy as an example. And then you have the petition, or our ask. Uh, We might ask for the grace to be better people, to love, uh, for forgiveness, you name it. So that pattern, the address, acknowledgement, petition, in this collect, it's all thrown out. This collect begins with our ask. Let your continual mercy cleanse and defend your church. And halfway through, as if suddenly remembering our manners, we insert, oh yeah, oh Lord. This collect is serious. Things are desperate for us. God's church needs cleansing. It needs cleansing and defending protection and governance. Why? Because the church, because gospel ministry is so fragile. The church is so prone to messing things up. It's so prone to self-deception. Now, you don't need me to rehearse any news stories. You've heard them all. Some of you probably listen to those deconstruction podcasts, which are a dime a dozen. It's just proof. The church needs help. You and I need help. And this is why we pray for mercy. This is why we ask for it so desperately. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of mercy, I tend to equate it with pardon. Mercy and pardon mean the same thing to my ears. And it's not that they don't mean the same thing, but you know, I tend to think of you know, that scene from Schindler's List, that great movie of the 90s where Liam Neeson's character is trying to convince uh, Ralph, or Rafe Fiennes' Nazi junior lieutenant, that true power is not found in doling out brutal punishment on the weak. But true power is in fact found in having the authority to forgive. If you remember that scene, it's great, right? Uh, Ray Fiennes' character is drunk. He, he admires this businessman who doesn't know is working to save Jews. And he hears this powerful businessman say, this is what true power is. So in the next scene, you see him in front of the mirror practicing, I absolve you. I let you go. I pardon you. Well, that's exactly what I think about when I think about mercy. But in this collect, we're asking for more than pardon. Not less than pardon, but more than pardon. We're asking for absolution, but we're also asking to be cleansed, to be guarded, to be led. To be clear, and I want to emphasize this, this collect is actually not first and foremost for you and me. It's for the church, it's for the church as a whole, which of course you and I are a part of, so by extension it extends to us, but it really is a prayer for the church. And I think this is helpful for us to keep in mind as individuals because we so often need to be reminded that the church, like you and me, is not some original sin-free zone. It's full of ordinary people Just like everywhere else. People who are beautiful, talented, self-giving, but who also have vices, pains, and addictions. It's full of people like David. If you look down a little further in our Old Testament lesson, and if you remember a little bit from last week, which I'll talk about in a second, in this lesson... The king of Israel is being confronted. Um, You all know the story of David. He starts off as this cute shepherd boy who then slays the big Goliath, the leader of the Philistines, to save his people. He becomes friends with Saul and Jonathan, only to have Saul want to kill him. Eventually gets made king. To Jews, even today, David is a big deal. Think of the Israeli flag, right? The Israeli flag is marked with the star of David. As a young, you know, sort of kind of Jewish boy, David was supposed to be my hero. And he's really supposed to be our hero too, because Jesus is born of the line of David. David is called in the Old Testament a man after God's own heart. David, in the scriptures, serves as a personification of Israel. And so by extension, he's a personification of the new Israel, the church. And in this story, this man after God's own heart, who had done so many good things, we see him commit not just some little sin like stealing toilet paper. David here, David the hero, commits A grievous act. Do you remember the details? The text says, interestingly enough, the text makes clear that kings were supposed to be out with their armies. They're not supposed to be lazy at home, you know, issuing orders while the poor people die on the front lines. No, the kings were supposed to be on the front lines. The text makes clear David just decided not to be. In a sense, David started off being lazy. And what does he do being lazy? He gets up to no good. He sees this married woman. I'm not going to say all the details, but he gets her pregnant. And then, worst case scenario here, right? He's like, well, I've got to fix this, right? So I'm going to call in Uriah. Uriah's going to come in. I'm going to get him drunk. I'm going to send him home. And I'll get let Uriah and Bathsheba hang out. He'll think it's his baby. Only Uriah is not like David. Uriah decides that, well, if his fellow soldiers in the front line were not to receive rest and pleasure, neither would he. So David's in a bit of a pickle here, right? Bathsheba is pregnant. So what does David decide to do? David decides to put him on the front lines, have the rest of the soldiers back off, so that Uriah would be killed. Do you see what's happening here? This is not so subtle. David is deceiving himself left and right. David had this man killed. It's terrible. And yet at the same time, talk to any Jew talk to any of us Christians, or at least we should feel this way, David is our hero. David is a man after God's own heart. When I think about David, I think of Thomas or Tommy Carcetti in the show The Wire. Have any of you seen The Wire? If you haven't, it's one of the best shows of all time, so stop what you're doing, stop what you're streaming, watch this. But in the show, Tommy is this you know, young, attractive, idealistic politician who wants more than anything in the world to do good. And the biggest shocker of all is that it looks like he's going to actually be able to do it against all the odds. He wins. He wins the election. And it looks like we just might have a good person representing us. And yet as the seasons go by, and it's not all at once, Tommy really wants to make a difference. Tommy wants to do good for the lowly. But the pressures of the world, the pressures of the machine have him cutting corners. He begins to compromise his values. And this compounds and compounds and compounds until he looks no different than any other ambitious politician. Through this chain of actions, through this series of cutting corners, Karketi begins to become blind to all that he's doing until he can see no longer. In this passage, it's as if David began to lose his vision. David became blind. He starts off great. He's the hero of the nation. He's the hero of his people. And yet, it's as if he is like you and me. He's watching his favorite Netflix show late at night. He's all in. He dozes off, wakes up. It's six episodes later. We don't know why David does what he does. We don't know, and it's no small thing. It's a terrible thing. David commits adultery. David murders. Some might argue today that David essentially oppressed Bathsheba, and they have good arguments. And here in this episode that we see today, David is confronted by the prophet Nathan. Only he doesn't know he's being confronted. Nathan doesn't do what you and I like to do, and like to call people out and point fingers. Nathan comes before David and he tells it slant. He doesn't tell the king of all Israel who would probably have him struck dead on the spot, you're a murderer. He tells him this story. He gets David to start to move towards him. And as David yells out, this man deserves to die, it is at this point where Nathan says those famous words, you are the man. And in that moment, David is like Dorian Gray who sees the hideous painting of himself after living without consequence for so long. David sees he's awoken. His blindness is undone. And miracle of miracles, the man with the most power in the world decides not to be vindictive, not to have Nathan struck down, but he takes it, and he repents. My friends, what began as laziness, which led to lust, which led to adultery, deception, thievery, rape, murder, My friends, you and I, we don't have the power that David had. For if we did, I I, I don't want to know what I'd be capable of. I told you at the beginning, I cut corners left and right, and I'm trying to nip that in the bud, but imagine that kind of power. When we're honest with ourselves, and we see how often we deceive ourselves, maybe we're so in the thick of it right now that we can no longer see that we're sinning. We can no longer see that we're lying to ourselves. Because I'm sure at the time, right, David at the time probably felt like a lover. He felt like he was being a general. When in fact, he is engulfed in the power of sin and desperately needs to be cleansed. And yet, if this is sounding a whole lot like ourselves, let's not forget that this complicated, probably should-be-cancelled man, this personification of Israel, the new Israel, the church, a man, this guy is called a man after God's own heart, a person after God's own heart. This is scandalous. How? how can we be okay with this? Well, one day there would be another David, a David who wouldn't be caught falling asleep watching Netflix, who didn't become blind until he died, and who awoke not in the middle of the show, but on the third day so that you and I could live in eternal mourning. Awake, alive, and in the light. This David, the true David, the perfect Israel, the bridegroom of the church, has the power not merely to absolve, but to cleanse, protect, and defend. My friends, this is good news. Unless you think that David gets off scot-free. I mean, there are consequences to what we do. And next week, we'll see that the consequence, one of the consequences, was David's own son rebelling against him, the nation of Israel dissolving into civil war, his life falling apart. When we preach grace from this pulpit, we're not saying there are no consequences. What we're saying is despite the consequences, you are not what you do. My friends, this is good news for the church. That beleaguered, often inefficient, often self-deceived institution. Because it's a promise that God's mercy will never run dry. And it's good news by extension to you and to me this morning because this means that his mercies are new every morning for ordinary people, ordinary self-deceivers like you and, you and I who so desperately need to be healed, guarded, and forgiven. You and I, the beautiful, talented, self-giving folks who have vices pains, and plenty of self-deception are by virtue of the new David's work in us, people after God's own heart, once and for all. We are beloved, restored, and forgiven. So let's taste of this truth, of this reality, and pray for healing and cleansing as we partake of the Eucharist right now. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorgesorg giving. Thank you.